ever wondered? Have you ever wondered why when somebody sneezes, when they, they expel saliva and mucus out from them at a rate of over 100 miles an hour, I'm told, why at that moment we, choose, we believe it is most appropriate to say to them, God bless you? That's kind of strange, isn't it? Do you ever wonder why we do that? Well, you may not have, but I did. My, I think one of my kids asked me about a year ago. Um, there's probably one sitting right there. Uh, and they asked me why we do that. And I, I mean, I didn't really know. I'm sure some of you have heard some of the, uh, some of the ideas. One, uh, and and there, there's a few different ways that, that people say it came about. But they all hold a few things in common. That it happened sometime in the Middle Ages. And it had a lot to do with, uh, with your soul um, being exposed to danger in that moment. Like maybe your soul kind of, you, you sneezed and your soul kind of crept up your throat and was then exposed in your mouth to the dangers of demonic forces. So you quickly said, God bless you, to keep any damage from happening to your soul during that physical act. So next time you, uh, God bless somebody when they sneeze, you can remember that. Um, and it seems a little bit backwards to us. Right, and, and a little bit silly because we know it's just expelling you know, dust from the nasal cavity or whatever it is that causes a sneeze. Uh, but I think if we read our passage carefully today, we're going to find that the medieval, quote-unquote, backwards people probably had something uh, or remembered something that we have forgotten. And, it, and it's this, that the, the body and the soul are... How goes one, so goes body and soul. So the setting of this passage is in uh, Matthew 14. Directly before it, Jesus has just found out that his cousin John the Baptist has been executed. And so um, he withdraws to a lonely, he attempts to withdraw to a lonely place to, to, to spend some time in grief with his heavenly father in prayer. Um, and as he sets out across the, the, the lake in a boat, Everybody from the towns hears about it, and you can just kind of picture all those little villages and towns emptying and, sc- and, and gathering on the, on the place where Jesus is going to make land. And he gets there, and there is this huge crowd of people. And because Jesus cares for them, he has compassion on them, and, and, uh, and they come to him with their sick and, and their, uh, you know, the, the, the infirmed, and he says to them, um, sit, wait, 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 sit down. Let me extend to you some timeless truths about God, the universe, and humanity. He doesn't do that, does he? he Jesus moves towards them in compassion and, and takes care of their physical needs right then and there. I think, I think that stands out because we often think of Jesus as a, you know, as a teacher of timeless truth or somebody who's mostly concerned about the state of the soul. And a lot of our songs are about saving our soul um, or, or we, we tend to read things that way. Uh, but that's actually not what Jesus seems to be most concerned about right here, is it? He takes time to heal their infirmities. He takes time. It's the Spirit, the Spirit of God, working on flesh and, and actually reversing the effects of the curse right in front of us. I mean, right as it were in this passage. Jesus unites 
the physical and spiritual. And He calls us to do the same. His redemption, the, 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 the salvation that Jesus offers is unfolding in creation. But you know, that's not actually the way you and I tend to go about this kind of thing, is it? Most of us, if we're, if we're of kind of, we were raised in the church, we're kind of religious, you know, we're conservative, we tend to think a lot about people's souls and that they need, uh, they need to be forgiven and they need to be able to go to heaven when they die. And by heaven, we mean this like disembodied, um, other realm where your soul goes and you're like the spiritual thing there. And, and that's what we're most concerned about. Um, but I don't, but that's, that's not what we see in Jesus right off. Uh, and if we, and if we press that on people, if that's our agenda, we see our neighbor and our, our agenda with them is to save their soul. People sniff that out, don't they? You ever wonder why it's so hard to share that with somebody? Because they don't want to feel like a project. They don't want you to have an agenda for what they need. And it doesn't really work. It doesn't really work. Tim Keller says this about, about caring for, for body and soul and the way Jesus approached this. He says, you never see Jesus say something like, see that tree over there? Watch me make it burst into flames. Instead, he used miraculous power to heal the sick, feed the hungry, raise the dead. Why? We modern people think of miracles as a suspension of the natural order. But Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. Jesus has come to redeem where the world is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also wonderful foretastes of what he is going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. You see how Jesus uses miracles not to prove who he is and to save people's souls, but to show what he is going to do with his miraculous power. And that his power is about redeeming the whole world, body and soul. So we could, it'd be easy on this point to say, all right, well, if, if, caring, if just being focused on people's souls and the state of their, you know, their spiritual state is, is wrong and manipulative, why don't we, we just need to focus on, on people's physical well-being. Right? Like if we provide for them, then, then things are going to be okay. If we take care of the earth. And this is, this is more like the liberal point of view, right? Let's, let's take care of the earth. Let's, let's make sure that everybody on earth has enough resources to live. And then, then there will be peace. If everybody's got enough resources, nobody's going to need to compete to stay alive. And then there's going to be peace. You know what's funny about that point of view? That the same people who, who talk about that point of view and, and, want, and want to see that lived out actually write stories that directly disprove it. I love it because my, some of my favorite stories are of the post-apocalyptic genre. You know, these, uh, like some, some major disease has come through and wiped out most of humanity. Uh, or, uh, you know, an atomic attack of war and all this kind of stuff. Or, my favorite... The zombie apocalypse. They're great. I never thought I would like one of these things, but I, I love the, uh, yeah, well, anyways. I love The Walking Dead. I'm not recommending it to everybody in this room. But 
But I love it because it so clearly displays this, this stuff. I mean, the questions, they may not even be asking these questions, the writers, but they're certainly answering them. What are people like? What they do in these post-apocalyptic settings is they strip down all things like law and religion and social norms are all thrown out the window uh, and resources are reduced to a minimum where there's just barely enough for each living soul to have enough of what they need to stay alive. And uh, and these stories are showing us what what humans are like when, when lots of these things are thrown out the window. And I love what happens because... It, what usually happens, okay, so in a zombie apocalypse, you, you'd think, you'd think that the problem is the zombies, right? But you'd be wrong. Surprisingly enough, what happens in these shows, is, uh, in these stories, is that it actually becomes the other humans who are most dangerous because there's a competition over resources, right? There's, a, there's everybody, nobody can feel safe enough. Nobody can feel like they have enough food. Nobody can feel like they have enough control. And so they end up destroying each other. They end up killing each other. And I think that's a window into what we are like as humans. These writers uh, don't know it, but what they're saying is that, that it doesn't matter if you feed the body all over the world. Um, people are never going to be satisfied with that. Humans aren't going to be satisfied with just staying alive. See, we're made for a lot more. As the saying goes... You can teach a man, oh wait, you can give a man a fish and he'll eat a day, but you can teach a man to fish and in the near future he'll die lonely and afraid. You see, there's still, you can feed the body, but you're still going to die, right? As humans, we want to live for so much more than just staying alive, than just existing. And so when we actually say, when we say that we're going to feed people, all we're, and, and we're going to care for the physical, what we're doing is reducing people to this um, collection of deficiencies. We're reducing them to the level of animals if we just care for their physical. But if we just care for their soul, then we're making them a project. How do we hold these two together? How do we hold them together? Well, how does Jesus feed his children? It's good when we look at a passage like this, feeding of the 5,000 um, is, is, a, is a miracle that's recorded in each of the four Gospels. It's the only one. Uh, but it's important that we look at it and find out what does Matthew want to tell us? Why, from his point of view, what's important for us to know um, in this story? And, it, it, and so each of the Gospel writers does that. And it'd be like if you sent two kids away on a field trip with their school. And they come home in the evening. They both went on the same field trip, rode the same bus, did the same stuff, all that. They both come home in the evening, uh, in the afternoon, and you say, how was the field trip? And the first one wants to tell you about who they sat with on the bus um, and, and who, they, who they ate with and, and the time that, the, you know, the, the really cool uh, parent who played a game with them. But then the other one talks about, oh, we, we found some, uh, you know, we, look, we jumped in the pond, and, and I wasn't supposed to do that, so I got in trouble, and I had to hold the teacher's hand the rest of the day. And then these other kids didn't want all their lunch, so I ate it all. You know, like they experienced the exact same thing, but they're going to tell a story based on their point of view. Right? There's no videotaped view of history. So that's what Matthew is doing here. 
He's telling us a story, the same story the other gospel writers tell, with a particular purpose. And that's not manipulative or deceitful. It's just what we get. It's, 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 it's purposeful. Nobody's hiding that. So in Matthew's, Matthew's version, the way he tells this story, he focuses on the disciples. If you read the passage, you'll see that, um, that the conversation and the lead-up is actually most of the, most of the thing, most of the, uh, the passage, the conversation with the disciples. The, uh, the miracle is one verse. It's, I mean, it's almost unstated. It doesn't even say that the food miraculously multiplied or anything. It doesn't like really state it. It just said everybody had food. And then it moves on. You see, to Matthew, the important thing is the disciples' interaction with this. It's the disciples and how they do. How do the disciples do? I love this. They approach Jesus. He's, he's, He's there healing people. They're watching miracles in front of their face. Um, you know, the, the restoration of, of the natural world order of health and beauty and wholeness. They're watching that happen in front of them. And they come to Jesus, the one who created heaven and earth, and who knit their molecules into becoming human instead of rocks. And they come to him and they give him a command. Send these people away. That's kind of funny. I think that's funny. You guys don't. Nobody laughed. It's funny. That should surprise us. What were you what are you guys thinking? Giving Jesus a command. Send them away. Send them away, he says. Uh, the, the disciples say to him, How does Jesus respond? He says, You give them something to eat. I always thought that was kind of a weird, like, what are you stalling for time, Jesus? I don't understand that. Like, how does that even fit the context? But what it does is, again, it's, this, is, this Matthew's version is about the disciples. He is inviting the disciples into his feeding of, of humanity, into his care for his creation. He's pulling them in. He says, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. It's also explicit. Matthew makes it very explicit that Jesus, after he blessed and broke the bread, he handed it to the disciples to hand out. It didn't just appear off the ground in front of people. They actually took it and looked in people's faces and handed them bread from heaven. Right? It's about the disciples' involvement. You see, Jesus has designed, this is what we're hearing here, he has designed his salvation of the world to take place through us. He has made us those vehicles who will unite soul and body and feed them both. Does that sound daunting? It's a big task. It's a big task. Our gifts, our food, becomes so much more when there's the care of Jesus behind it. When I was younger, um, I had I have little sisters, and when they were younger, and I was young too, uh, they were not able to take uh, vitamins. Like they, you know, they, you know, how some people just have a real aversion to being able to swallow. They couldn't do it. And 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 my mom and like me and my, I have three older three brothers and then two sisters at the end who are twins, and we would just become exasperated because we were the big older brothers. Like, 
What are you doing? Just take it. It's so ridiculous. And then my mom, you know, she was starting to get frustrated because they could take the vitamins. They got to get healthy, right? Vitamins are, they, they help you stay healthy. They, they bring healing to your body, right? They got to take these things, but they couldn't do it. And so my mom eventually decided that she would take those vitamins and hide them in their food. So that when they ate, they would get the vitamins. You know, along with regular food, they would get the vitamins too. So they were actually consuming super-powered food. It's genius. It's a good job, Mom. Way to go, Mary Beth. Um, they were actually consuming super-powered food. This is, this is exactly what happens. It's exactly what happens when we, uh, when we feed people with the care of Jesus behind it. When we give, when we hold up our food and commit it to the Lord, allow it to be broken, and then give it out, we are actually not just giving bread anymore. It's superfood. It's so much more. It feeds the soul as it feeds the body. Now, a lot of you guys have done this recently. I know because my family and I were the direct beneficiaries of this feeding. A lot of you guys made meals for us after we had Delcy Ann. Uh, what is she, two, almost two months old now? Seven weeks? So for a solid month, we had meals rolling in. It was amazing. And you guys took your resources, took your food, offered it to the Lord, and gave it away. And it fed me and my family, not just our bodies, but our souls. It gave us a tangible sign of God's loving care over us. And reminded us who we are in our Father's eyes. So thank you. Thank you for being part of His healing of my family. How do you? How do we do this? Do you want to be part of somebody, uh, somebody being healed from an eating disorder? Feed them. Bring them to your table. Sit down with them. Give them the food that God has given to you and extend the care and love of Jesus as you feed them. That's uniting body and soul. You're giving them superfood. It's in your home. You're at table with them. Tom Wright says it this way, Jesus takes ideas, loaves and fishes, money, a sense of humor, time, energy, talents, He holds them before His Father with prayer and blessing. Then, breaking them so they are ready for use, He gives them back to us to give to those who need them. Will you allow your life to be broken in service of the King? Okay, if we could just say that. If we could end it there, we could all go and accomplish this. Right? That's not that hard. Talk to people about Jesus. Give them food. I can do that, right? But here's where loving like Jesus and feeding like Him moves beyond a method. Because anybody can employ that method. But what Jesus does is He incarnates Himself. That's a big word. But what it means is that Jesus came and entered creation and took on the sorrows and the brokenness of humanity took on the curse of creation. Jesus got colds and He got the flu, right? He took on, He made our problems His problems. Paul says that He who was rich 
became poor so that we might become wealthy. And it's only when you feed until you are broke and tired and hungry that you'll begin to feed like Jesus feeds. You'll begin to heal like Jesus heals. When you take on the troubles of the people around you, you want to help people? You have to swap places with them. But you know, we're all living in one of these post-apocalyptic stories, right? Because we all feel this, there's never enough. Everybody feels that. We all feel that I can't actually have enough money in my retirement account, or I can't actually have enough food in the pantry, or I can't actually have enough resources and friends and safety gathered around me. And I need more and more, and we're never going to give it away. We are those people running from the zombies and hurting each other. And we'll never be anything different. We'll never be anything different unless you know that Jesus, that Jesus Himself was lifted, blessed, and broken for you on the cross. And it's on the cross, it's to the cross that this meal points. Because it is multiplied for everyone all over the world. And just like in this passage, there are 12 basketfuls left over. Even the leftovers of Jesus' banquet is enough to feed all of Israel. His plan is worldwide. Just like He has an abundance in this feast, so on the cross is the feast that will feed all nations and bring healing to all of the earth. Body and soul. So how do I get this physical bread from Jesus? This physical, spiritual feeding that I need. How do you get that in you so that it can go move out of you like the disciples so Jesus can say to you, you feed them. How do you get it in you? How do you get these resources in you? Well, this uh, this this feeding of the 5,000 uh, takes place, it says, uh, it says essentially, in the evening, Jesus took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and distributed it to his disciples. Does that sound familiar? Matthew is foreshadowing the Lord's Supper that Jesus would let her celebrate with his, with his followers. And the Lord's Supper obviously points to the cross. That is there that Jesus feeds you. It's at his table. It's at his table that he feeds you. And that's at his, his people when his people are gathered for worship. But it's also at the tables of your friends. Right? That his resources, that your resources are offered up broken and given back so you can share them with each other. Feeding body and soul. Feed on Jesus in those times. You can never give up your bread and your security unless you know that Jesus gave up his for your sake. So how does he satisfy me physically? That's spiritual, right? We see the cross and we see, great, I'm forgiven. Um, you know, if we think of the cross as this moment that, G- that God forgave all of our sins, he certainly did. But we need to see the cross as so much more. The cross is the reconciliation of a broken creation to its creator, right? Because Jesus didn't stay dead. In three days he rose bodily from the tomb. 
And in that one little smidgen of creation, the resurrected body of Jesus, spirit and body are perfectly united there as they one day will be in all of us when he returns. That is the hope that he's given us. That he feeds us not only spiritually, but he feeds us physically this hope that one day I will not be able to be sick. My sisters won't need vitamins anymore. One day I won't be able to die when Jesus finally and fully unites body and soul. Until then, he calls us to give away out of what he's given to us. If you sense a call to follow him, to share this compassion, then you have to know that his, his banquet is limitless and the resources that you have are more than enough for what he's calling you to. But remember that as he, as he fed us, it cost him everything. And it's going to cost you everything too. May we offer our bread, our gifts, our time, and allow Jesus to lift them, break them, and give them back to us to be given to those in need. Pray with me. Holy Father, um, we pray that you would make us people who are so aware of the feeding that you've given us, of the abundance that you've offered us, that we would be eager to give away anything that we have. Lord, make us people who are willing um, because of how you suffered with us to suffer with those around us, to, to incur, um, incur suffering for the sake of the world. Make us people who minister to body and soul and bring about the salvation of your creation through us in little ways, even today. Amen.